And then an email came my way saying that Victoria's Secret was looking for stories about bra shopping, good or bad or funny. And they were looking for people to share those stories on stage at their annual sales conference in Las Vegas. And in my head, I just heard free trip to Las Vegas. I can (laughs) tell a story about shopping at Victoria's Secret, which I had one and I'm a good storyteller and I, I could make it good. So I sent in my story. I got selected. I flew to Vegas and I was there with three other storytellers and they did a lot for us while we were there. We had a lot of activities and we were wined and dined and that was really all I was focused on. But then we actually had to do this event and it was in this huge conference room, like 1,500 to 2,000 people. There were jumbotrons. We had to wear Britney Spears microphones and we had professional hair and makeup artists and we had practiced the day before in rehearsal that we had to enter the stage through these pink stripe cylinders. Like it was essentially the Victoria's Secret fashion show without the fashion or the model. So we do this as each person shared their story. And as I shared my story, the audience was captivated. And after we each finished, they they gave us a standing ovation. And in my head, I'm like, I really could care less about this one specific story of a traumatic bra shopping experience that I had. But look at how this is actually making a difference for the people who need to hear these stories. And it was this light bulb moment of this is really smart that this huge company is using storytelling in this way to motivate and inspire their employees. I shared my own crisis of confidence a few months back on Instagram. I wrote about how I felt at a loss with how to share our product with the people who needed it most. I'd spent two years trying to figure it out and I didn't feel any closer to a solution. I was feeling stuck and inadequate. My friend Lou Blazer commented, I thought this was going to be a different post because Tara McMullen and crisis of confidence didn't compute in my brain. And just last week, someone else told me that they loved my interview with Claire Pelletro from Get Paid because it can seem like people like me have it all figured out. And I share in that interview how much I do not have figured out yet. The truth is that any entrepreneur can suffer from a crisis of confidence. Any small business owner can find themselves riding high one minute and feeling lost the next. Any smart and ambitious founder can have all the right answers until the next question gets asked. You're listening to What Works, the show that brings you candid conversations about what's really going on behind the scenes of successful small businesses. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. This month, we're examining confidence. Specifically, we're looking at how small business owners find the confidence to take a big step forward. So let me say it again. Any entrepreneur can suffer from a crisis of confidence. Even an entrepreneur who is totally comfortable hopping on a stage in front of hundreds or thousands of people and sharing intimate personal stories. My guest today is just one such entrepreneur. Her name is Hillary Ray, and she's the founder of Tell Me a Story, a company that trains entrepreneurs, startup leaders, and those looking to leave a bigger footprint on the world, how to find their voice and share their unique story with honesty and passion. She's also the creator of a longstanding live storytelling show by the same name. Now, right before we recorded this conversation, Hillary posted a vulnerable reflection on her blog, looking back at her time producing this live show and how it's matured. In it, she shares her inner monologue about the doubt and even embarrassment she felt preparing for a big anniversary show. She wondered why the show hadn't grown more. She wondered whether people took her seriously. She wondered if it was time to throw in the towel. 
So while Hillary originally came on the show to talk about how she sources her confidence from showing up and being visible, and we do talk about that, we also talk about this very real crisis of confidence and how it's impacting her business moving forward. This candid conversation with Hillary is part of a whole series we're doing here at What Works on Confidence. We want to shed light on how small business owners continue to find confidence long after they've taken the leap to get started. Over the next month, you'll hear about finding the confidence to raise your prices, come back after a major loss, experiment and iterate, stick with the plan and land giant clients. When we're not posting new conversations here on the podcast, we're sharing personal essays and reflections from What Works Network members on how they find the confidence to take the next step. To get the full series delivered to your inbox and check out what we've already released, go to explorewhatworks.com confidence. That's explorewhatworks.com slash confidence. Now, let's find out what works for Hillary Ray. Hillary Ray, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, so we're going to talk about confidence and finding your voice. And as you told me, kind of finding um, the, the freedom of putting yourself out there or maybe even putting yourself on a stage. So what's your earliest memory of gathering up all your confidence in order to speak up and tell the story that you needed to tell? So I was 10 or 11. I was in my elementary school, which was a very progressive, small school. And we always did a school play. And I think it was third, fourth and fifth graders together. And they announced that our school play was going to be the British operetta Paul Bunyan, which was really interesting (laughs) because Paul Bunyan's actually an American folktale about a lumberjack. But there was a British operetta version and they were very equitable as far as casting. You got to put a bunch of of choices on a piece of paper of what character you wanted to be. And that's how they selected. So I always really liked to do extensive research on what character I wanted to be. And so my parents got me the boxed set of cassette tapes of Paul Bunyan, the operetta. And I remember listening to it very deeply on my Walkman and going through all the characters and figuring out who I wanted to play. And I stumbled across this one character who was the Western Union boy. And he was a very small part, just came in one time in act one and one time in act two and sang this very short song that had to deliver this really important message to Paul Bunyan. And this was the character I wanted to be. I thought it was super cool. I had a solo. Great. So I put it down and I got cast and probably because nobody else did any research or put that character down. And I was so excited. And I, in addition to rehearsing at school, we would, I would go home and and listen to the cassettes. And when I listened to the cassettes at home, I, I envisioned myself singing the song and I envisioned myself in some sort of postal worker uniform, but also while riding a bicycle. I just had it in my head that I needed to sing the song while riding a bicycle. So I asked my music teacher the next time we had rehearsal if I could. And in my head, she said yes right away, but I'm sure she had to go ask the principal or get approval, but it was a very progressive school. So they said yes. And I don't know how much time passed between that plan and the play, but I do remember thinking, oh, I know how to ride a bicycle, but I'm not like really great at it. I grew up in a city in Philadelphia. And I remember my dad teaching me how to ride a bicycle and saying, do you want me to let go? And I said, yes. 
and I went flying and I fell off the bike. And apparently I started screaming at him and said I never wanted to ride a bicycle again. And he said he would never teach me how to drive or any other thing ever again. So this was very soon after that. And I had to ride my bicycle indoors on carpeting. There wasn't a stage per se. It was like a big multi-purpose room. But the plan was that I was going to ride my bike down this very narrow aisleway with the full school sitting on the floor on either side of me and then up onto the stage in rhythm to the song, which like wasn't a very fast song. So the, <laughs> the day of the play, the main feeling that still sticks with me and the image that stays in my head is is going for it and wobbling on this pink Schwinn with a flower banana seat while singing this song at the top of my lungs and going past my entire school up onto the stage. And it's one of those things looking back now where it just feels free. And it feels like I was entirely myself, even though playing a character, because I had come up with this weird idea. Someone had said, yeah, sure, go for it. And I went for it. And I don't think I ever really felt that actual freedom or feeling I felt on stage again until I started telling stories about my life on stage and rechanneled that openness and that willingness to put myself out there. Well, that is an incredible story to start things off with today. And you do tell it so vividly. I can picture the whole thing. Um, and it must have been a very progressive school too. I, I'm imagining the whole, are we talking about like just barely suburban Philadelphia here too. Oh, this is in the city of Philadelphia. Oh, but in the city. Okay, it was a city school. We went to a farm once a week, so that was part of oh it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I can imagine all of this. This is basically everything I think about the progressive side of Philadelphia. <laughs> Awesome. Okay, so let's fast forward pretty far here now. How did your business, Tell Me a Story, get started? So Tell Me a Story actually began as a live storytelling event with no sort of overlying business ideas around it. And that all came to be because I was telling stories from my life on stage, I think at that point, for about two solid years. And I was doing some storytelling in Philadelphia, but mostly going up to New York every single week because that's where that style of storytelling was with story slam style shows. And also a lot of the comedy theaters had storytelling nights and I would go and perform a lot. And a friend of a friend was opening this beautiful new cafe in Philadelphia and had mentioned that she wanted evening programming and she was really into storytelling. And so our mutual friend said my name. And the next thing I know, I'm in a meeting with the co-owner of this coffee shop and we're brainstorming what we want. and. We decided that we wanted an evening of stories that where people had maybe seven or eight minutes to tell their story because the only other opportunities in Philly were these competitive story slam events where people had five minutes to tell their story, a little timer went off if they went over. You never knew if you were going to tell your story because they picked names out of a bag and then you were judged at the end of it by audience members who had had three or four glasses of wine at that point. So it wasn't really showing the art of storytelling in the way that I really felt it should. And so we brainstormed the show. I put a poll on Facebook for the name and Tell Me a Story is what ended up winning. And I'm so grateful because some of the other choices were things like, please shut up. And I'm so glad oh, no. that that wasn't <laughs> the name of the show now that my that Tell Me a Story has grown in the way that it has. 
And so the show was born and I just always did it in my free time. I was a freelance teaching artist for a bunch of theater companies in Philadelphia. And I also had this weird job called a standardized patient where I was an actor for medical students. And those were the things that I just did to pay the bills while I was performing. And I didn't really have a path or direction or saw much beyond the show. Um, But that's how it all began. Wow. What kind of mental leaps or like mindset shifts did you need to actually get the show off the ground? Because it's a it's a big change or it's a big difference between, you know, going to New York City and and telling your own story and deciding that you're going to organize an event like that. Yeah, it's funny. I don't know if it was mental leaps per se, because I had always really loved planning events just for fun. Like when I turned 24 and 25, I still I lived in New York for a while and I was living there and I threw myself these giant birthday parties that were Mm -hmm. also combination DJ nights and live concerts. And I charged admission and and people came and and it just always felt like it came naturally to me. And then when I first moved back to Philadelphia, I produced a live fringe show and I also helped facilitate the 60 person artist group that participated in the Mummers Parade, which is this very bizarre tradition that takes place in Philadelphia. So group organizing and event planning just felt like a natural extension of of who I was. And so the show just kind of made sense. And I, I had a pool of storytellers originally to work with. I had a venue. I had someone helping with the logo and the poster design. So it really felt kind of easy and seamless. Awesome. That's amazing. Uh, Okay. So I want to get into the business side of things eventually or sooner than later, (laughs) but I want to spend a little bit more time on, on the live show element of it, because, um, you know, I think that, you know, you've, you've mentioned that there is this kind of trend toward storytelling on stage. It's been around for a while now. There's a, it's not even so much a trend as a tradition now um, in cities and in this kind of, yeah, this kind of environment that you're that you're talking about. Um, but just because storytelling is something that people want to do doesn't mean that they feel confident doing it. And it sounds like this is something that you're pretty confident in or that you've developed a confidence in. But I'm sure the people that you work with or that you run into people you're working with on these events that ha- that are less than confident. So how do you coach or support the storytellers that show up to a tell me a tell me a story event so that they can find the freedom that you've found in putting themselves out there? Yeah, that's a really good question. A couple years ago, I instated a mandatory story rehearsal, which sounds mm. very ster- serious. Um, but I just as used it as a point to check in with each storyteller that was booked to tell their story on the show. And it gives them an opportunity to really sit down and work through their story because I'm not teaching them the process in which to prepare their story. That's something I do more in my workshops. So I kind of trust that the storytellers at the point that they've decided to be on the show or I've asked them to be on the show or someone's pitched a story that they're they're already committed to being there. So whatever mm-hmm. way they need to work on their story, they can work on it. But those the story rehearsal tells me a lot. And most of the people feel good about the story that they're sharing and excited to share it. But where the confidence wavers is in how the story is going to be received by the audience. Uh. And is this what I should share? Is this how I should share it? Because what if it's not received in the way that I want? And maybe for people with a comedic background, 
they need laughter to know that it was received in a good way. For others, it's just a worry of, am I sharing too much or is this weird? Kind of all those little things that creep in. And a lot of what I do and what I tell people to do is you have to just not worry about how your story is going to be received. And you have to be present in your story and feel really passionate about sharing it. And 99.99% of the time, the audience will receive it with warmth and love and curiosity and connection. And there's never judgment or hatred or disgust. It's just this weird thing that happens when you share a story and when someone really listens and and receives it. And it's all about that connection. So it's working with people to trust that they've prepared, trust that they've lived the story and made the choice to share it, but then letting, letting it go in the moment and being with the audience. And that's where a lot of people actually find the confidence. It's in that live moment of presence with the audience. Oh, I love that. You'll hear what happened after Hillary came clean about her crisis of confidence after her eighth anniversary of producing the Tell Me a Story show in just a minute. But first, a word from our WhatWorks partner. WhatWorks is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Want to know the secret to creating more impact with your business while working less? Connect the people you care about to each other. Bringing people together is the magic ingredient in every success story in the digital age. Think about it. If you create connections between your followers and offer value through those interactions, your brand gets more useful with every new person who connects. When you bring people together, you're creating something much bigger than yourself, your podcast, your YouTube channel, or your Instagram feed. The savviest influencers, podcasters, content creators, educators, and entertainers are focusing on how they can connect their fans and followers to each other, not just build an audience. And that's where Mighty Networks comes in. Mighty Networks gives you the power to connect the people you care about most, your followers, fans, and customers, and it acts as the central hub of your business operations, bringing your content, courses, relationships, messaging, events, and even payment processing together in one platform. We use Mighty Networks to power the What Works Network. We've seen firsthand just how much more value we can create by helping small business owners connect to each other, build relationships, trade notes, and deep dive on their most pressing business challenges. And Mighty Networks has drastically streamlined our workflows too. Ready to connect your followers and create a lasting impact? It's time to get started with Mighty Networks. Get started free of charge by going to MightyNetworks.com. That's MightyNetworks.com. Uh, that makes me wonder if there is a uh, sort of a meta level of this as well for you. Do you ever worry about or or feel less than confident in how the event itself is going to be received by the audience? Not typically, but at the show that we did in May, which was the eighth anniversary show, yeah, I totally got wrapped up in that. Yeah, well, let's let's go ahead and dive into that. I had was thinking we'd talk about that later, but let's talk about it right now because I'm okay. really curious <laughs> about this. <laughs> so can you share that story with our listeners? Sure. So in May of this year, Tell Me a Story, the live show celebrated its eighth year of shows at Shot Tower Coffee in Philadelphia. And the the venue, it's beautiful. It's an intimate space. There's this 
uh, community table that's at the center of it where most of the audience congregates. And it can only really hold about 50 people, and that's max. So, you know, 30 comfortably, 50 if we're all kind of squashed in. But for some reason, hearing eight years or saying out loud eight years, instead of being proud and excited, I started to feel embarrassed or stagnant. Like, what do, what do I have to show for this? Like, I'm still in this tiny venue. I don't know if people are having a good time. And and just started questioning. It wasn't so much questioning the quality of the stories or who mm-hmm. I brought to the show or how I ran the show. It was more like, what is this show about? What is What purpose is it serving? And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I have now built a full service brand around Tell Me a Story and spend the bulk of my time building out my workshops and my one-on-one coaching and marketing and doing Instagram and all the things that I have to do to to sell my services and and run my business. And I think that I started to see the show as this weird, odd stepchild of the company and that it was working against all of the things that I was doing and not seeing that it it really supports not only what I teach people, but what my company stands for and what I stand for. But a lot of the questions going through my head were, is the audience having a good time? Like every time I got up on stage to introduce a storyteller or even in the beginning and at the end when I do like a host intro and outro in my head, I'm like, I don't know if people even want to hear me say the things that I'm saying right now. Or do I talk about the upcoming workshops or am I just selling from the stage in this insincere way? Uh, And there were some empty seats, which it was still really full, but I think I was used to at this point it being so full that I had to turn a couple people away each time. And the fact that I just saw empty chairs really made me feel defeated. So it was all of these things that in the moment, I felt awful. Looking back, it was a really skewed perspective of what was actually happening. And I think, honestly, it was a lack of confidence in myself as a business owner and mm. and nothing other than that. Yeah. I mean, I, for myself, I know that I have often gained confidence just from being able to produce growth. And it sounds like there's a little bit of that story going on, uh, underneath the surface here. Like if, if this, if, if this event deserves to keep going, then why isn't it growing? Or if, if I deserve to be here, why hasn't this grown? Does, does that sound, does that resonate with you? I think that's what I was thinking in the moment, but it's so funny because I've never envisioned it as this style event that's in a 2000 seat theater Mm -hmm. with dark lights where like you can't see the audience. That was never a goal. And honestly, there has been so much growth. I think that I just had this idea of success or this idea of, of numbers or, or, I don't know, maybe more external validation, which is something I really don't like to put energy into or focus on because I don't think it's productive or helpful or or meaningful in any way. Mm -hmm. But I think I just had this weird idea in my head of what it was supposed to be. But then that's what that idea was, was never a goal I was working towards. And the growth really has come from the quality of stories told, the way people tell them, the enthusiasm that the storytellers have and how they feel once they've told their story in the show. And also there's new audience members every single time. And often they are actually aligned 
with the same audience that I serve as far as workshops and other offerings. I just think it was one of those things where I wasn't in the moment and I was really in my head and I really started to doubt my purpose. Yeah, I think that's super insightful and I can certainly relate to that myself. Um, okay, so I want to ask just a little bit more about this because you you chose to put this out there publicly and like I first learned about it inside the What Works Network, but you actually linked to a blog post that you wrote on your business blog about this feeling of feeling embarrassed or feeling stagnant in the moment. And even though you do have this great insight on it now of what you've learned and why that happened, you still chose to put that out publicly. Why did you make that choice to own that that feeling in that moment publicly? I did it the next morning after the show. And I think part of it was to continue to process what was happening. But I think I woke up with a new feeling. And that feeling was that I love the show. It absolutely is a part of what I do more than I think I even imagined. And that if I can talk about my process and seeing it as an arm of what I do, but also planning the show as its own standalone special thing, that I can approach it and I, I can plan it and produce it and be in it with a new role and a new perspective. And I found that it was important for me to share that because a lot of the people I work with are also entrepreneurs, are also doing something on their own, growing something from maybe something that was originally an artistic pursuit or a seed of a creative idea. And I wanted to share more of my entrepreneurial story and not just my personal narrative experiences that I tend to share on stage. That makes a lot of sense. So that kind of brings us back full circle then to this idea of finding freedom in putting yourself out there. Can you describe what you mean by finding freedom in speaking up and being visible and putting yourself out there, finding your voice, um, and maybe even define it in or, or describe it in terms of being able to share this really vulnerable blog post um, with your audience? Yeah, I have a couple of ways that I break down personal narrative. And I think where that feeling of freedom and where freedom can translate to confidence is in ownership. And this mm -hmm. is something Brene Brown talks about a lot. And I think maybe I was initially first inspired by her use of the term. But for me, ownership is understanding the story that you want to tell from a place where you're the main character, where you can see yourself going through the journey and share your perspective. And if someone else has a different perspective of that experience, if they shared it with you, then by all means, they can share their version of the story. It also means ownership of, of how people, of what story people receive from you. So not someone else telling your story for you. And I think those things can make people feel free. Like I am in control. I'm steering the ship. I'm opening myself up. I'm telling you this from my perspective. So I think that's part of it. And I also think this idea of being a 360 degree human at all times, and that maybe sometimes people feel a divide between the personal and the professional, but so much of what I do with storytelling and so much of, of what I do work on myself as a, as a founder and business owner is fusing together all aspects of my life. And I think that was also why I needed to write what I wrote, because I, 
I wanted my all aspects of my life to fuse together in that way. And to me, that also feels like putting myself out there in this free, open way and a way that I feel, yeah, ownership of. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of of ownership and and finding the freedom in that. All right, let's talk about how this live event then has translated into a business. How did you how did you make the decision to kind of branch out and start offering storytelling or storytelling styles workshops, uh, personal narrative workshops as a business sort of under the same umbrella as the Tell Me a Story event? Yeah, it happened organically at first. My mom, and this was, I don't know, five, six years ago, maybe more. My mom ha- was retired, but she started a company called MindSpot. And she was inspired by General Assembly and the Brooklyn Brainery to have adult learning classes of all different types of things. And so she asked me if I would teach a Storytelling 101 workshop. And so I said yes. And kind of experimented from there. I had always had a background in teaching theater and improv for kids. And so I knew what style of experiential learning I wanted to put forth as far as teaching storytelling. And so that was really a place to experiment. And then, and this was all, I was doing it on the side from all of my freelance gigs. And then I had this weird aha moment uh, in Las Vegas. And I can dive into that full story if that's helpful. Yes, please. Anything that happens in Vegas should get talked about, right? (laughs) So, and this goes back to when I was in college in New York, I did a lot of market research focus groups for for cash. And it was always like giving you a slice of pizza. There was a double-sided mirror where there were people on the other side listening. You talk about, you know, shampoo or a hairdryer, things like that. And then they handed you money and you left. And so I did that ongoing. And eventually all of that stuff kind of turned online. Like all the market research was like answer these questions online. And so I always just did it and picked it up whenever the emails came my way. And then an email came my way saying that Victoria's Secret was looking for stories about bra shopping, good or bad or funny, And they were looking for people to share those stories on stage at their annual sales conference in Las Vegas. And in my head, I just heard, free trip to Las Vegas. I can (laughs) tell a story about shopping at Victoria's Secret, which I had one, and I'm a good storyteller, and I I could make it good. So I sent in my story. I got selected. I flew to Vegas, and I was there with three other storytellers, and They did a lot for us while we were there. We had a lot of activities and we were wined and dined and that was really all I was focused on. But then we actually had to do this event and it was in this huge conference room, like 1,500 to 2,000 people. There were jumbotrons. We had to wear Britney Spears microphones and we had professional hair and makeup artists and we had practiced the day before in rehearsal that we had to enter the stage through these pink striped cylinders. Like it was essentially the Victoria's Secret fashion show without the fashion or the models. So we do this. I don't even remember what order we told the stories in, but as each person shared their story and as I shared my story, the audience was captivated. And after we each finished, they they gave us a standing ovation. And in my head, I'm like, I really could care less about this one specific story of a 
traumatic bra shopping experience that I had. But look at how this is actually making a difference for the people who need to hear these stories. And it was this light bulb moment of this is a really effective communication tool. This is really smart that this huge company is using storytelling in this way to motivate and inspire their employees. And it was one of those things, too, where after it was over and I was just trying to go back to my hotel to get my suitcase and and check out, I was stopped every few feet by someone that had been in the audience saying, what you shared is exactly a customer experience that one of my customers were had were, was having. And to hear that our customer service representatives helped you in that way and made you feel better and could help you in bra shopping for a bridesmaid's dress. You know, it was all these things that still in my head, I'm like, these are very insignificant moments in my life, but huge impactful moments in their life. And what would happen if I actually shared a story that I cared about? What, yeah. How would the audience receive that? How could I help other people do that to make those connections? And so all the wheels were turning. And I went and took a business plan writing class at Wharton Small Business Development Center. They had this really great like, evening business plan writing program. And I had no business sense at all. And it was very, very businessy, like SWOT analysis, profit and loss projections, all of these things that I just had no concept of what they were. But it really opened up my world and I became really fascinated by business and figuring out a way to to use these skills that I have and to use the methods that I had been developing as a teacher and really help people in business and in, in the corporate world. Yeah. So what did you see as the actual sort of market opportunity there? What did you imagine selling to people and who did you imagine selling to? I imagined going into big companies like a pharmaceutical company or a finance company and doing professional development full day workshops where I would go in, teach people the art of storytelling and help them strategize how to use it for whatever their communication needs were. And I came to that conclusion because I had been asked by a couple of nonprofit organizations to lead conference retreats. Mm -hmm. And so I had started to develop that. But in my head, I was like big Fortune 500 company equals money and this is how I make this a business. And so for the first year and a half of going full time with the business, I served those big companies <laughs> exactly. And I but I found that it actually wasn't what I wanted and it wasn't who I wanted to serve. And so in the last 8 months or so I've really pivoted. Gotcha. And what have you pivoted to? To serving entrepreneurs and startup leaders and Some people that still come from that corporate world that might be in upper management looking to move up in leadership, all women, Mm -hmm. but then they can come to me and I can help them in my time doing small group workshops and one-on-one coaching versus me going into a company. And I found that people are more willing to go for it and are more willing to open up and see how powerful these tools are when they can come to me versus me going to a company and maybe not Mm -hmm. everyone there wants to be there or maybe Mm -hmm. they're scared to try something in front of their boss or things like that. So it it's really made a huge difference for me in how I'm teaching what I'm teaching and also who I'm helping and seeing that I can actually help and serve people in a way where it's aligned for me and aligned for them. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So we've kind of established, I I think, and and tell me if I'm wrong, but you have a lot of confidence around storytelling. It sounds like you have a lot of confidence around teaching and coaching around storytelling as well. So I'm curious, kind of 
did you have any kind of crisis of confidence around the business side of things? Because you said that, uh, you know, you didn't, you didn't really have any kind of business background and you might have become fascinated by it, but that doesn't mean you felt confident in that confident in it necessarily. Um, so how has, how have, how has your level of confidence grown or changed on the business side of things? Honestly, that's something I'm really starting to understand that I still lack confidence when it comes to being the founder of Tell Me a Story and running the business. And I think I didn't equate it to confidence at first. And I just started Mm. to get really impatient or frustrated if things weren't working the way I wanted to, or if I didn't understand a system that I needed to create or why I needed to do something that I needed to do. And I now realize that I really need to work on that and channel the confidence that I have in all of these other realms of what I do and figure out how to implement it into my business because I honestly think that it's holding me back from growth and from not just revenue growth, but personal growth as a business owner and trusting that what I'm doing is worth doing and can be so much bigger than just me. So I think I don't have an answer yet, but I think that that's my next step as far as figuring out how to embody confidence in this new way. Yeah, I think that's so insightful. Can you give us an example of a time or or an instance when you felt that impatience or that frustration um, and how at least you've started working through it or what you did to kind of recognize that that was what was going on and, and taking deliberate action forward? Yeah. For a while, I was getting a lot of emails or even in-person requests to offer my services for free. Mm. And this was not really something that I started out doing. Like I was pretty, I'm pretty proud in that I've never really done much for free. But I think that sometimes I'm really generous with information giving and 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 helping people kind of in an off-the-cuff way. And I think it was translating to, oh, well, if Hillary's already giving me all of this, maybe she can give me more. And I think the frustration grew in, in why are people seeing that for me? Why are people thinking that I am going to give things away for free? And then maybe doubting my pricing or doubting my messaging or not seeing enough people register for my workshops. So thinking, oh, maybe they're waiting until I offer them something for free. Mm. So I think that's an example. Yeah, I think that's probably one that a lot of listeners can can relate to in terms of uh, kind of creating that kind of crisis of, of confidence. So what's your vision for Tell Me a Story now? What do you see it growing into over the next few years? Yeah, I'm really excited to continue building out my small group workshop offerings. I have about seven workshops that are in the built out various degrees of built outness, whatever that <laughs> word is. Um, and there's two that I have been running most frequently, which is crafting your personal narrative, which is like a, a pretty intense deep dive workshop. And then I have this shorter masterclass called Calm Confidence about finding that freedom and and channeling that freedom when you need it for everyday communication and for public speaking. 
but I have all of these other offerings and I really need to get them on the calendar and continue to build them out and see what's working, see what I need to change. And then I think down the line, figuring out how to offer my methodology maybe beyond the greater Philadelphia area. I've always seen this not just as a hyper-local business, and I've always seen it as not just me. So so right now, I've actually scaled back to really focus on high-touch service offerings and that it is just me. Mm-hmm. But I think down the line in a few years, I want this to grow into a, a methodology that people might already understand just by hearing the words, tell me a story and be able to to help more people in different ways. I love it. What are you most excited about right now? Ooh, I'm actually most excited about all of the clients that I have been working with and how seeing them get excited when they try something that feels totally foreign to them. Like they're sharing stories that they didn't necessarily connect the dots to in the first Mm. place. And then seeing what it's like to share that and seeing what it's like to share that when that's the origin story that you're going to use when articulating the work that you do as a business owner, as a creative and seeing other people have those feelings and those light bulb moments is really, really powerful and makes me feel like I am helping people and making a difference. I love that. Well, Hillary Wright, this has been a phenomenal conversation about confidence and finding the freedom in putting yourself out there, being visible, telling your story. Um, and I have to say, I have my one of your uh storytelling workshops on my wish list right now. So hopefully uh, we'll make that happen soon. (laughs) And uh, again, I just want to thank you so much for, for sharing your thoughts on confidence in your own business story. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Tara. This was really fun. Find out more about Hillary Ray and tell me a story at tellmeastory.info. And if you're in the Philly area, find the tell me a story show at shot tower coffee on Christian street. Now it's your turn to get candid about confidence. We're hosting an ongoing conversation about confidence on our Instagram handle at explore what works. Find today's post about Hillary's story and tell us a story about a crisis of confidence that came sneaking up on you or tell your story in your own Instagram feed or story using the hashtag candid confidence. Our next Candid Confidence conversation is with Abby Herman, the founder of Right Solutions. Abby shares how she found the confidence to raise her prices and discovered the motivation to level up every aspect of her life. This episode was produced by Sean McMullen. It was edited by Marty Seafelt. Our theme music is by The Shrugs. Find more candid conversations and personal reflections about navigating insecurity and finding the confidence to take the next step at explorewhatworks.com slash confidence. 